0: compass rogue podcast in washington dc christian tomasco is here with me my name is alexandra fox we this is what our third second third episode third. um yeah and um we we talked about we, so far we have talked about uh, what is mental health we have tried to define mental health which you know we can go on and on and on about uh, we have talked about healing, which we can go on and on and on. I mean, all of the topics that we cover, all of the things that we say, there is there's so much information about. Okay, what the the there's so much information about psychology, mental health um, that that can be discussed in this context. Uh, that it, it's kind of mind blowing and it's very exciting, and I get very excited about um, learning new things. I get excited about talking to my clients about new things. I get excited about talking to you about new things, Christian. I get excited about. Um, I love to. I love to read about psychology. I love to read uh, pop psychology. Um, I was reading B.F. Skinner recently, behavioral psychology. I, I mean, I like to delve into all corners, all facets of, um, of mental health, psychology, healing, um, psychopathology. And so I listen to um, I've, I've listened to what we've said so far. And I think that there are so many times in in our conversations that I feel like we could qualify things or we could expand upon things. Sometimes I cringe because I'm like, oh, that just, it doesn't sound broad enough or it sounds too too specific. Mm-hmm. I think probably the thing that bothered me the most about the last one that we did about healing was, and I, and I told you about it, was the um, sort of lack of inclusion or the lack of talking about a pluralistic society uh, when we talked about healing, um, I felt like it was from a very privileged um, place, and you and I have both worked in, um, in, in, with communities that are absolutely not privileged, right? A lot of the motivation for me going into the mental health field was to help the, uh, people that were marginalized, disenfranchised, um, that were truly suffering uh, greatly. And, uh, I mean, I've talked with you about like, you know, what, what's some of the motivation behind me even going into this field. And it was like, um, to keep me off the ledge. Right. And part of that, which I'm learning now, maybe, perhaps maybe a little bit of a trauma response on my part. I don't really know. I'm still delving into that. Um, is this, um, I've talked with you about like I had even thought about becoming like a lay person in the church or like a nun or something. Uh, because it's a creepy thought. I know. A very creepy thought. I know. Uh for various reasons, not the least of which I don't really believe in any of it. So that I always knew
1: you were a closet religious conservative. I said this to her, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, way back when I said you're a much more conservative person than I thought.
0: Absolutely not conservative, and that would be I know. the problem. I know. Because I don't think that, you know, porn and lipstick and tattoos are really uh, well thought of mm-hmm. in, in, in the nunnery, in the cloister. Sure. I, I don't think I could be cloistered away very easily. I I, think, it's, it's interesting
1: <laughs> thinking about religion. I don't know how much the religious community even values um, Psychotherapy and mental health.
0: Oh, so much! I think really, it really. Did, I mean, there's so many different yeah. sects of. Sure. Yeah. Of, of each. Religion. The religious
1: community is not a monolithic entity. You're right. I'm, I'm sure right. some. Uh, you know, some uh, denominations or some churches, some groups uh, value mental health services a bit more than uh, uh, that. I'm giving them credit for, but I, I do know that I've had clients yeah. who have. Um, struggled with a number of issues ranging from their sexual identity to substance abuse to depression and anxiety. And when they turned to their church for support, um, it was not there Um, and mental health services were not uh, encouraged. Um, And the uh, kind of um, the the advice and suggestions and support for treatment they received were faith-based, not evidence base um uh and and so not
0: scientific not nice big, s- big surprise right well and that, that, <laughs> that's
1: why i was thinking you know that you when you're you you know we're kind of talking about you mentioned your your you know your, your thoughts about you going into into becoming a nun i know that you it was just a thought. You didn't kind of seriously entertain it, but it reminds me of.
0: I did though. Well, like I'm serious. Uh, well, then you've got deeper issues.
1: This is that's for another podcast yeah. uh, uh, session. But, <laughs> but but I, I think that uh, and and this is not to disparage religion in any way, shape, or form because I do believe that religion and faith have a lot of value uh, when uh, when it comes to healing. Um, and helping people to to manage through difficult times. So uh, I don't want our listeners to misinterpret me. I'm not devaluing religion in any way, shape, or form. Quite the contrary, I I, I think it it convert it it's the converse of that. I think um, most organized religion, most churches, devalue the uh, the importance of mental health services. Yes. Some denounce them entirely. Um, uh, so I, there is a spectrum. But it is concerning, and it makes me – when you said that, it reminded me of all the uh, – of many conversations I've had with my clients who have grown up in, um, uh, in devoutly religious families who, when, uh, you know, they expressed a need for support with a struggle, an emotional or psychological struggle, be it, be it their sexual identity or um, anxiety or depression or substance abuse um, – their religious communities did not encourage mental health services
0: no the in, traditional in, mental health. right and so so let's rewind just a little bit yeah. to um, so I brought up the idea of religion because mm-hmm. I, I uh, let's see I want I want to continue mm-hmm. put a pin in that because yeah. that is exactly where I wanted to get to. Yeah. But to preface that, I want to say that, um, you know, the motivation for, for me going into mental health um, a, as a professional, and I know for you as well, was to work with disenfranchised, the, the downtrodden, the people that were really, uh, that really seriously needed help, especially from your social work background. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot more uh, geared toward um, uh, advocating for people, you know, my LPC is, is counseling, and in, in inherent in that degree, or not inherent, it doesn't have to be, but uh, oftentimes people with LPCs also work in social work. And, and that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And so you and I have both worked with, um, with populations that, um, that uh, they just get so um, neglected. Um, not, not as much as I don't think as they once did. But when I was listening to us on uh, the last, you know, the healing episode, I was like, oh, Jesus, I totally missed an entire swath of people that really uh, can. Yes, there are facets of what we said that can be applied to these people in their lives. Of course, they can take these principles and, and 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 apply them to their lives uh, I'm not being very specific right now but I'll get there yeah. but the fact was it sounded very privileged to me okay so so and, and it I'm very aware of that having worked with the the populations that I worked with for years I'm very aware of privilege I mean before I was aware that I was a privileged person um, I knew that I was a privileged person meaning in 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 the the greater world, there's the idea of, of white privilege. Okay, mm-hmm. prior to me learning about that concept and implicit bias, which we could even talk about today, mm-hmm. um, I I recognized going into the counseling field that I came from a privileged background. We were supposed to write a paper. I remember my first year of graduate school. You know, write a paper about yourself, and I and I named myself a white privileged woman Mm -hmm. and I was like oh and that's a thing that people are talking about all over the place I didn't know that I came from Mm -hmm. an art school and like a you know upper middle class or I I I don't know I came from privilege and um never I didn't have to worry about much um in that way believe me I worried about and you know so there's privilege um and then there's privilege right so part of being in a privileged uh uh status there can also be um, there can also be things that are not so great about being in that status, and uh, I won't get into that right now. But so, what am I saying? What the hell are you? Saying? I know I'm rambling, but yeah. what I'm saying is, what do, you, what do you
1: think was? It sounds like what you're saying is that perhaps we overlooked something or didn't delve into or cover a certain segment of uh, the topic of healing as. As it pertains to it just, underprivileged folks.
0: Yes, and 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 right now we don't work with that population of people, mm-hmm. right? And so we're coming at it Thank from a different no, we're coming at it from a different angle yeah. than we would have previously, right? Yeah. So um, when I met you, I edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> When I met you, um, I was interviewing you uh, for the position of yeah. a director of um, of site director site director for At Central Union
1: Mission. Yeah, for one the, of the worst jobs ever. For the in my
0: homeless life. shelter, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's how we met. And, and
1: let our uh, please let our listeners know where that interview took place in
0: the basement of a homeless in a, shelter. In the basement of a homeless shelter, which uh, which is a place that I had been prior to hiring you prior prior to advocating for your hire. Um, yeah. I had been working there. Uh, doing assessments with uh, with homeless uh, houseless men um, yeah. and and people with mental illness um, and talk about uh, their mental illness being neglected yeah. because it's central Un- union mission and mm-hmm. no offense to them but they weren't looking at mental health in the same way that we do like um, from a from a mental health standpoint from people coming um, from yeah anyway mm-hmm. so. Anyway, uh, when I was listening to us talk, I thought, oh, okay, We, when I say, you know, your nervous system is overactive and you need to employ deep breathing and enjoy your body and enjoy your life. It's like, well, okay. But some people literally can't fucking enjoy their environments. Yeah. And I, and, and, and something struck me that I said, uh, let me see. What did I say? I said, well, I said a lot of shit that, that totally applies to me and it totally applies to the population we work with now. Yeah. But, Oh, it felt so neglectful. Um, and, and the idea that you can, uh, Oh yeah, here, here's what it was. The idea that the, the, the tools that our body has to handle, uh, trauma, the, the ways that our body produces hormones in order to create the fight or flight mode. Um, I said, you know, as a species, we're not really in those environments anymore. And we fucking are. We yeah. are in those environments. Um, and and quite frankly, you and I are still in those environments. It isn't yeah. just about the disenfranchised and marginalized populations either. We live yeah. in Washington, D.C., yeah. and we live in a time where there is a lot of violence. I yeah. mean, the, the fucking capital was stormed. By those uh, MAGA idiots or on January 6th and I was in my house with my child alone and I could hear I could hear it. I could hear what was going on. And that is really fucking scary and real. Um, And and. You know, people are accosted on the streets here and everywhere. Actually, I mean, there's violence everywhere in the world. Um, so we do, we do still need those things. Um, I, I tend to, you know, knock on wood. I tend to be in a, in a, a somewhat safe environment, and I, mm-hmm. I think we tend to, as a population, be safer than I, than we've ever actually been in history, which is sad, really. Um, but there are people that live in communities whom I have worked with. That literally can't leave their front door without fear that they are going to get shot in the head yeah. or that they will be physically assaulted in some way, sexually assaulted. The percentage of homeless women that are sexually assaulted is over 90%. I, I don't want to say it's 99%. I can't remember specifically. But the, the ways that our bodies protect themselves, mm-hmm. I said in the last episode, um, it, that we're kind of outdated and we have lizard brains it it, it truly isn't that outdated mm-hmm. um, yeah so, so that really struck me and mm-hmm. it, it made me sad to think that I would leave out you know the, the hundreds of people that I've worked with over the years um, that are that are still a, like accosted on a regular basis um, who are in the throes of intergenerational trauma being played out you know and yeah. um, so that, that really bothered me, and I wanted to address that. Um, and so some of the interventions we talked about, like deep breathing, of course those can be used by people that are in these environments, but the environments that that I've spoken with people about um, that come into community mental health centers that that are on Medicaid, um that that are in the lower socioeconomic statuses, that are homeless and have five children, and um, I'm speaking specifically to women because um, I uh, it's very near and dear to me, and um, it, they can use those those methods like like I can use those methods, yeah. but let's really pay respect to. I don't want to pay respect to, but pay attention to the fact that people are in these awful situations that they don't have any control over. You know, they were born into circumstances that they don't have any fucking control over. Um, Historically, um, people that are oppressed, um, uh, they have an external locus of control. And that's the whole definition of oppression is that. Your locus of control is taken away from you. It's external, and things are imposed upon you. You don't know that you can get out of that. It's a systemic problem. Um, for For people to say, "Well, you can you know you can choose to go get an education. You choose your behaviors." Uh, I mean, it, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. It's a lot more complicated than that. So, what is some what does a woman do, for instance? Um, and they're meant to. But what what does a woman do that has um, five children, no education, no income, um, doesn't know how to file taxes, doesn't have a place to live, is staying in a hotel over on um, Bladen'sburg Road or New York Ave. Yeah, New York Avenue. Um, and and it that's being paid for by the city, regardless who may or may not have a, a drug issue. They don't always have to have a drug issue. Um, but, you know, part of the, the, the issue is it, how do you cope with trauma that you grew up with? Well, oftentimes people seek out drugs in order to cope uh, because their brain chemicals are just so unbelievably uh, stripped. You know, the, the nervous system is shot. And anyway... Uh, what, what does what does a woman do with five children living in a hotel with no income, some EBT food stamps, you know, uh, privileges, um, and no emotional support, right? Um, how How do you cope with that? I remember having telehealth sessions like last year, I don't know, with us uh, just one person in my uh, comes to mind who was every time they left their apartment that they got finally, uh, through a subsidy or a, a grant or something. Um, and by the way, those programs suck. Um, mm. they have these, uh, temporary vouchers. Um, they'll pay your rent for a year. You're, they're supposed to get up on your feet and go get a full-time job. And then you pay rent after that year is over. Mm. Holy shit. It's really unrealistic. Yeah. And then they take it away and you're kicked out. Well, anyway, um, single woman five children uh the father who who the fuck knows where he is he made bad decisions he doesn't hang around uh maybe he has another family hiding that he didn't tell her about and um or maybe he's in prison and that's a whole other issue um and 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 she She's struggling with PTSD because she herself grew up in an environment where there were shootings. Maybe she witnessed a shooting. Maybe she witnessed several shootings. Maybe she was physically accosted. Uh, Nine times out of ten, that is the case. Um, and, And she's having panic attacks. She can't even cross the street. What the fuck do you do? You're stuck in your apartment with five children that you don't have any help with. You don't have any money. And and you can't even leave your apartment because your nervous system is so overwrought. You're having panic attacks. And what can you control? So that's the population I'm talking about. That's the population that I felt like I ignored. And, uh, and I really want to um, pay attention to a little bit. Uh, So what can you do in those situations? Well, you can do some of the things that that I would do, um, which is you focus on what do I have control over? Um, And again, in in an oppressed situation, you uh, inherently in that in that situation, you you just don't you don't have control. Your control has been stripped from you. Anyway, so. That bothered me, and I just had to bring that up. What, what are your thoughts? I'm glad you got that off your chest. Yeah, um, I could go on and on and on, but I just wanted to bring that up.
1: Uh, what do I think about that? Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't. What do I think of w- what aspect of that? How what, us, um, not, us not addressing it? How that woman can get out of how that woman can get out of that hypothetical scenario. What mental health services can do to support her? I I don't know.
0: What is mental health? I mean, the reality
1: is most people who are in in those situations, those dire circumstances that you just described, don't ever get out of them. No. They die in them. The um, system is
0: rigged to keep people Mm -hmm. in that cycle. Yeah. um, And... If someone doesn't believe that, I would be happy to have a one-on-one conversation with them about yeah. how the system is rigged. I won't get into yeah. it now, yeah. but it is. And
1: while we are privileged people who have worked closely with these populations over the better part of the last decade, um, we are set, we, You know, we, we do have some. We do have some insight into their struggle, while not having experienced it ourselves. We do have some insight into the struggle. And to so the, the myriad of obstacles that they, that they, that they face, uh, both in, on the community level and you know, internally, psychologically and emotionally, and how those obstacles <clears throat> coalesce to um, um, prevent them from getting out of those situations and making their situations better. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult. It is not as simple as make better choices, no. uh, do no. this, do that, go to school, get a job, It's not that simple, it's much more complicated. Um, Are there avenues to getting those things done? Yes, Um, uh, but without the guidance, this is where social workers come in, without the guidance of a social worker to help uh, someone in that type of scenario uh, uh, to navigate, without the the, the assistance of a social worker, the support of a social worker to help someone in that situation um, uh, to access those services um, and to create a step-by-step plan for managing their circumstances and improving them, it's, 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 incredibly difficult, almost damn near impossible. Yeah. Uh, but again, this is where, as you mentioned, the importance of social work and licensed professional counselors, this is where, um, you know, uh, this is where, uh, this is, this is where our services uh, uh, really matter most, right? And This is where our value I think really is, Assessed, right, so, or determined, right, by our ability to help these folks see their way through these difficult uh, situations on a micro level, and then on a macro level, advocate advocating for public policy changes that create a more just and equitable system that allows for people who start off or fall into these difficult circumstances to rebound, um, uh, in in a, in a feasibly rebound uh, w- within the course of their lifetime. Yeah. And I, I've done. I've as a social worker. I've worked, That's one. That's one of the reasons I became a social worker because I liked how um, kind of um, I liked how all encompassing the um, the field is. Right. Um, as a social worker, you're. It's a very versatile uh, profession. You can work in a number of different settings and capacities. Uh, uh, with a number of different populations you know you could work in a nursing home with seniors or you could work at a community-based mental health facility with a homeless men, right you can do clinical work like therapy or case management or you can do macro level advocacy work you can do community organizing you can work for uh um uh, you know a, a nonprofit doing uh uh, doing advocacy and community organizing um, uh, on a community level. Uh, so there's, there's a lot that social workers can do, And I, I pride myself on, on being a well-rounded kind of advocate and social worker. I've worked in a number of different capacities doing both clinical work and uh, community level, macro level uh, work. Um, uh, and, and so I, I think that's really where the value of the profession comes in. And that's where social workers, I think, our value is, is, is really assessed or determined. Uh, by our ability to, to um, uh, help folks uh, uh, to navigate the system um, and to instill in them a sense of uh, confidence and um, uh, a wherewithal uh, to, um, uh, to, to improve their lives step by step. I mean, when you're in that type of situation, that hypothetical scenario that you just mentioned—you quite literally need a step-by-step guide to get out of you it. You
0: truly right? do. And if, do you, you, need? if you don't,
1: it's, you're just law. Lo- you're basically just lost. You're figuratively and kind of lost in the wilderness. And unless you have someone, uh, uh, you know, to kind of provide you with a step-by-step uh, uh, kind of step-by-step guidelines for getting out of it, you don't really stand a chance. And I would argue that you know. Um, Most of those, uh, most of the people who are going to prevent that knowledge and that know-how and those step-by-step guidelines are coming from outside of the community, which is why, you know, I actually think it's incredibly uh, privileged people have a role to play, you know, this idea that, you know, you have to, you know, you can only, you can only kind of change poverty if you come from poverty or you can only you know, create better circumstances if you've come from these difficult circumstances. I, I've never subscribed to that. I don't buy it. Um, no. I, I, you know, I think that the problem with a lot of these folks in these communities, or there's are, are is is that they're surrounded primarily, not entirely, but but primarily, mostly by people who are in the same circumstances as they. So do, as they
0: listen, are. one of the. Uh,
1: So you need privileged people to come in. You do,
0: because one of the most important parts of of healing, of getting help, of getting better in any way, or uh, surviving, is resiliency. How do you have resiliency? Part of resiliency is having a really strong support group, a really strong support system. Uh, Some people, uh, especially people with severe and persistent mental illness who happen to fall into these uh, uh, communities a lot, Um are, are abandoned by their families. They have no one. They have Mm -hmm. no one that will provide support to them. And so it is really important that they have someone, uh, and whether that's through an artificial means, quote unquote artificial means, uh, like having a community support worker Mm -hmm. or a care team at a community mental health center, Mm -hmm. uh, a church, um, you know, there are so many good programs Um, In in local churches, uh, you know, like daily programs for food and and shelter and for clothing and even assistance with computers, um, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, um, yeah, I I mean, no, it it is 100% our responsibility as human beings that come from privilege to help those that don't have privilege. And it is not a choice. Yeah, it is not a choice. If we want to talk about implicit bias, I'm happy to go there, too. We were talking about uh, heuristics basically last time about how we develop our belief systems, how we develop our realities. Mm -hmm. That's how implicit bias is formed. We are not um, uh, that's not made up. We, We are literally forming our realities as we are born, as we grow up. If we're surrounded by privilege if we're surrounded by these constructs um, that have been there for years and years and years we're not going to be born into that uh i mean sometimes we are but whatever like it, implicit bias is developed through um the the it's implicit it's developed through the environment that you're in and you're not even aware that you have it yeah. until someone comes to you and, and pulls you to them and says you are you have implicit bias you are coming at this from a place of privilege you're in and and yeah. that no, that doesn't work people don't listen to that shit yeah. so it really is our responsibility people that have privilege people that have the ability to take care of themselves it's our responsibility i truly believe to help those that can't help themselves yeah and how do we do that well i started in 2004 believe it or not 2004 I started working at Truman Behavioral Health in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, as a community support worker, while I had just graduated from a private art school and a very privileged white girl. Um, and, and I, I, w- I, decided to go into mental health. I decided to go get my graduate degree in, uh, in psychology. Um, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I literally, I was just going blindly through programs. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought, yeah, I'll get a PhD. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, and I started working at Truman Behavioral Health. I happen to have a, uh, someone in my family, a sibling that has schizophrenia. Mm. Mm. So I wasn't unfamiliar with uh, the environments um, yeah. that, you know, when I was growing up, I, you know, we visited her in the hospital. She had like a, you know, like a halfway house, like a kind of a... Um, A day program, for lack of a better term, that that she would go to every day. So I wasn't unfamiliar with the population, Mm -hmm. uh, but I was definitely unfamiliar with the poverty. Yeah. Uh, but not even, because in we lived in Brazil when I was little, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a maid, see, privilege. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a maid named Sonia. And what a great she, life you've had. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, like I said, there are, there are issues with having privilege, too, uh, when it comes to mental health. Yeah. And, and I, I can get to that at some point. But, what a life, ladies But and our maid, what a, Sonia.
1: Let me borrow 20 $20.
0: But our maid, Sonia, um, you know, we visited her house in Brazil and Mm -hmm. there are these favelas in Brazil and they're basically, um, they're, they're shacks, they're shacks, they have dirt floors. Um, I mean, I've traveled all over South America and like, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of poverty. I've seen, I've seen third world living. Um, but guess what folks, it, it's, it's here in the United States, you know? And, um, so uh, I, I wasn't really aware of the population until I started working with it at yeah. Truman Behavioral Health yeah. in 2004, and um, and and I and I never went back. Like yeah. I I I can't I can't say that I I don't enjoy the education I got at my private art school. I yeah. you know I'm an artist. I'm a writer, etc. Yeah. But but the selflessness that that sort of motivation for it. i, I got addicted to to helping people yeah. because um it it truly gave me a reason to keep going yeah in a way that i'd struggled with before yeah. um so i remember talking to you a mm-hmm. long time ago 2019 some i was a long time ago but mm-hmm. but you know like Keeps me off the bridge. Like, yeah. what, what is the motivation? And I was like, it, I, I was telling you, I was like, it's, it's actually kind of selfish. The helping mm-hmm. that I do is kind of selfish. And yeah. you said it's not the intent that matters, it's the outcome. Mm-hmm. That's like a very Kant, like a philosopher Kant kind of thing to say, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that where that comes from? Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah. I just felt like I had to address it. I had to talk about it. I had to yeah. talk about our backgrounds in, yeah. in mental health, where we come from, and then where we are. Where yeah. we are is, is privileged. Yeah. Um, but like we've said before, mental health um, is non-discriminatory. Yeah. doesn't matter class, race, ethnicity, gender. It doesn't matter. If you struggle with mental health, you struggle with mental health. It just yeah. so happens that, um, like you were saying one time, maybe somebody with more money has greater access to mental health. Yeah, Here's where I'll get to privilege being a problem. Yeah. I, I was in a, a situation as a child with, uh, I was raised by physicians and professors, you know, doctors and doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, doctors abound in my family. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't, I did not get the help I needed. Yeah. Because within the community, these people are looked at, like, favorably. Um, so whereas someone might call CPS, Children, Child Protective Services, on a quote-unquote poorer family, yeah. Um, For someone that has status in the community like my family did, Mm. um, I kind of fell under the radar. Our family fell under the radar. And I did not get the help that I needed until I was older. Um, And... Yeah, and even then, I mean, it's difficult to sit across the table from a doctor yeah. um, and and tell them what they're doing incorrectly yeah. with their child. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's highfalutin, right? You mean
1: to tell me that beating them with a the broom handle <laughs> over the head is, is a problem?
0: <laughs> I mean, that's not a good idea.
1: Get out of my house and
0: talk about religion. I beat you, you want to talk about religion? Okay, so Catholicism. My my father. Uh, grew up Catholic. South South Chicago, Irish Catholic. He became Jewish later. That sounds like a
1: recipe for verbal, emotional, and physical
0: abuse. He was born in 1932, South Chicago. His father was a doctor. Mm. Uh, His mother was, uh, you know, stay-at-home mom. But then she did like, uh, anyway, whatever. He had the, um, this is a very interesting background. Long story short, with his first three kids, he literally, so he Mm. was Catholic way up um, through their childhood. And then he left his wife to be with my mom yeah. and I'm sorry family. If you guys are listening to this and I'm just telling everybody everything, but I don't give a fuck anymore, quite frankly. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, you know, people sounds
1: like an episode of Maury Povich. So uh,
0: I, I won't name names, but anyway, uh, but you can Google him. Actually, my dad, he was a writer anyway. So, so he would go to, to church. He'd go to confession. He'd go to mass. He was yeah. a, a strong Catholic. Yeah. And, uh, and and the priest would tell him to go beat his children. Yeah. Like that was what they, that was their prescription for for child rearing. It Was like, yeah. well, you have to beat them more, you know. Um, you're, so you're,
1: well, you remember what I said earlier about uh, about religion and uh, some of the ways it's in which they pretty fucked advise, up. <laughs> well, some of the ways in which the religious community adv- chooses to advise and support their uh, uh, the members of their community. Uh, uh, they they adhere to some very uh, uh, unhealthy uh, and unproductive ideas and strategies yeah. for uh, addressing uh, common, uh, uh, you know, mental health and emotional struggles.
0: So here's uh, yeah. another thing that I, that I was thinking while I was listening to us talk on the podcast. I was thinking, you know, when, you, when we talk about healing, it isn't just about um, dealing with mental health symptoms. Mm-hmm. It is healing from a uh, from systemic issues. It's healing. Yeah. From constructs that were developed to condition people to behave and believe things, you know, to behave in certain ways and believe certain things. It's like dismantling the patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, dismantling a belief system in order to, you know, because it doesn't work for you, you know. A lot of the things that have been uh, historically in place, Mm -hmm. um, and if we want to keep on the religious track... Mm -hmm. um, I've had clients come in who are trying to escape their religion for various reasons. Uh, uh some being that they, they have, uh, you know, a, a sexuality that doesn't align with, uh, with their church, with yeah. the church teachings. Right. And yeah. they're, they're being abused in their church. Yeah. Um, they're suicidal. You know, they, they, they've experienced trauma from coming out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I won't speak specifically to any religion, uh, but it, it runs, it runs the gamut, you know? Um, I don't want to speak against any religion, except for Catholicism. That one I will speak against, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, it, not to say that there aren't good things about it. I actually wasn't Catholic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i self-disclosing too much. But, like, I, uh, let's say, Jew-ish, right? This is my friend Sarah's joke, is that I'm mm-hmm. Jew-ish, Right. Mm-hmm. Because I, I wasn't raised with anything except for Judaism. But even then, like my parents, it was just a strange environment. Anyway, um, it was after my father died yeah. that I went to RCIA and I became Catholic. Yeah. Um, and my rabbi, your yeah. Korn, hi, hi Rabbi your Korn, said that I was being disingenuous and something else for becoming catholic and i was like well that's fair but uh but anyway i had to follow through that i had to i had to go through it um part of what i liked about the catholic church and i still like about the catholic church are the the good works that are done so there are good things the good works being helping the poor there's always a poor box my father was part of the saint vincent de paul society when he was young and um Which, which it's, it's all geared toward helping people that don't have anything, helping people that are, that are suffering marginalized. So, so there are good parts of it as well, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to fall under the heading of Jesus. I love Jesus, whatever. But it doesn't have to fall under the heading of Jesus. You can do all that shit independent of a church that's abusing people. You don't have to actually adhere to any of the dogma in order to fucking help people. Yeah. So why don't we just have a church dedicated to helping people? Why don't we just have a poor box without Jesus, without, you know, Oh, I, I shouldn't say those things because I don't want to disrespect anybody in their belief systems. But I've personally seen... Uh, how, how badly it can impact people and then clients coming in and, and trying to recondition themselves and get themselves out of situations in which they're being abused. And quite frankly, a lot of churches, a lot of religions are extremely abusive towards people, um, in many different ways, coercive, manipulative, uh, gaslighting, um, literally physically harming people. Um, Yeah. So what is my point? Well, so in listening to... I think we've all been wondering at this entire, <laughs> this entire Yes, thank you. Um, with regard to healing, it, it isn't just about treating symptoms. It yeah. is literally, at times, can be about changing your entire perspective on life. Mm-hmm. right? And, and I'm not one to sit here uh, and espouse like, uh, you know, completely changing your lifestyle in order to quote unquote heal. And I'm not telling you to come to an ashram, you know, and, and sit with me and, and talk and, and, and pray. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, but people wonder sometimes how to truly heal, how to truly feel better. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've had resistance from clients at times, um, Mm about adopting practices in their lives to help them truly feel better to truly get better um to rid themselves of of some pathology Mm -hmm. and i want to qualify that too because we're not talking about schizophrenia we're talking about like anxiety agoraphobia we're talking about you know toxic behaviors um not organic necessarily Eh, whatever so like I've had clients be resistant to it, and I'll say, "Well, I mean, we can help to put a band aid over things. Mm-hmm. We can help manage your symptoms, but if you truly want to overcome this, yeah. we're going to have to delve a little bit deeper, and you're going to have to dismantle some of your belief systems." And I'm not talking about religious belief systems. If you want to keep mm-hmm. those in place, fine. But the way that you're thinking about things, the reality mm-hmm. that has formed around your, you know, your experiences, um, has to be assessed you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that's not true for every diagnosis. That's not true for every situation. Um, I had somebody say, no, stay, fuck you. You know, when I was talking about changing lifestyle, uh, changing their lifestyles. Um, yeah. So those are just some of the, some of the thoughts that I had while listening to our podcast on healing. Um, it's a lot, it's kind of all over the place. Um,
1: this is a symptom of your mental illness tangential thought
0: <laughs> I do one have a lot of symptoms. tangential <laughs> thinking. One of the many <laughs> symptoms
1: no I, I think um uh just go back to the the disenfranchised um and underprivileged uh and kind of um, the degree of value that um talk therapy might have for them I, I think it's it's uh it's an interesting topic um because there are talk therapy can, can be helpful, uh, for, for those populations. It very much, um, has its value, but, um, it's when I think you're in a circum when you're in a situation or a circumstance like that, talk therapy is not the top priority, right? It, it doesn't, no, it you doesn't, can't,
0: you actually, I, I don't mean to interrupt, yeah. but no, I mean, We're talking about someone who's literally afraid for their lives, who doesn't have sustenance, whose body is craving actual food, who doesn't have shoes on their feet, who's walking around in bags in the street in winter. That's, that's what we're talking about. Are they going to sit in therapy and talk about deep breathing? Fuck that. That is absolutely asinine.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, my point was, was going to be that, uh, you know, therapy, talk therapy, is a privilege for people whose basic needs are already being met, right? So, for the the hypothetical person uh, in that terrible, disastrous scenario that you described, uh, you know, would, would would not they would not benefit at least immediately from talk therapy, right? that that, that is not something that we uh, that we would advise as the first step in. Um, uh, in improving their circumstances, right? If you think of Maslow's hierarchy of need, right, um, mm-hmm. uh, hierarchy of needs, rather, uh, you know, uh, someone's basic needs have to be met first before they can start, uh, uh, you know, kind of addressing the higher level needs, right? So talk therapy is something that would kind of come, come, you know, maybe later down the line once their basic needs have been
0: met. So, uh, yeah. uh, formal talk therapy as we uh, practice it now, maybe not, but all of the principles of talk therapy can be utilized in any setting. If yeah. you're sitting in a park with someone, if yeah. you have someone in your car, I have a, I had a lot of clients that drove around. Yeah. Uh, I so think, that,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, what I'm saying is talk therapy can be effective even for folks like that. I'm sure the soul of social, you know, if you're a social worker and you're working with these folks, giving them uh, a platform, a safe space, a safe environment within which to process their thoughts and feelings and discuss what's going on in their lives is incredibly thought could be incredibly But it is
0: non-traditional. Right? But it's not, well, it's not,
1: it's not, it's not going to immediately lead to uh, uh, solutions to their struggles, right? It's maybe, it may be a, a place to start or a piece of the, uh, of the process, mm. but um, yes, for, for the client population that we service, right, their basic needs are met, they're relatively stable. And so talk therapy is, is, is very much necessary, but it's a privilege that they can afford, right? that they, they have the time and the, uh, the, 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 the resources um, to address certain struggles um, through talk therapy. Um, it, it's, a, it's a higher level kind of need. Right, that is being it is, uh, that's being and, and, and it is a
0: need. It is a necessity yeah. because Very there are so. literally yeah. are, are people. But it's only, yeah. but it's
1: only they're they're only allowed to do so because all of their basic needs are being met. Right, there's a foundation yeah. there already. Yeah. There's a functional. But stability. like,
0: but like we were saying, uh, preserving and protecting all that stability, mm. that foundation, all the structure that someone has built can fall apart in a matter of a few fucking days. If you have one psychotic episode, you, you may, you may be a high functioning privileged, um, you know, highly insuranced person, um, Mm -hmm. who has the quote unquote privilege to come in for therapy. Um, uh, and, and, and develop psychosis or, or have untreated bipolar disorder that yeah. you've been managing for years. And then all of a sudden everything explodes yeah. and you lose everything. So yeah. we're all vulnerable yeah. to being in those positions sure. and women especially are vulnerable mm-hmm. because of, uh, I don't want to say that having children is a disability, mm-hmm. but holy hell, it puts you in a very vulnerable position. Yeah um yeah so yeah yeah it's a lot yeah well
1: I'm glad you got that off your chest today and I hope you're feeling better (laughs) and uh you know to all the 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 folks that um uh who are in those difficult situations you know I think the first step you know uh because some of our listeners, I'm sure none of them are listening to this podcast, but for our client population and supporters and followers who might be listening and asking themselves, well, what can I do, uh, you know, to, to better help those, those folks, you know, Mm -hmm. those populations, whether you're working with them professionally or there's someone that you come across on the street who's, who seems to be in that situation. or someone in your neighborhood. Um, you know, DC is a, is, is a, Uh, is a gentrifying city. It's quickly gentrifying. And so it's not unusual for very privileged people living in expensive buildings to have homeless people who uh, are in the situations that you described right outside of their building.
0: Listen, there are tents set up all over this city. I, I take. Epic- I have them right outside of my building. Right. Guys. I take epic walks. Granted, I live in a
1: project building, but that's another story. But <laughs> no, but, but, the, but if, if for our listeners who might be asking, well, what can I do to, you know, with my privilege and with my resources to better support or assist some of these folks? Um, Uh, You you know, you can direct them to the Department of Behavioral Health or the Department of Health. Both, if you go to their websites, uh, both of them have a number of of really uh, important programs uh, for um, homeless women with children, homeless people in general, homeless families, um, uh, people struggling with mental illness, or people who are in substance abuse, uh, or all of the above,
0: right? and You know what? Yeah. You don't actually have to be struggling with mental health issues mm-hmm. in order to be houseless or to have uh, economic issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they develop pretty easily. Yeah. Um, well the research, surrounding shows the, the, research circumstances. the
1: research shows that the, the two primary reasons for homelessness are usually mental health and or substance abuse, which go hand in hand. And oh, then it, yeah. Uh, mental illness and substance abuse uh, are that are the really kind of the, the chief uh, I, I think uh, uh, those are the two most common I think problems in conjunction with each other that lead to homelessness and so the, the research reflects that right. Uh, people don't become homeless by accidents. Um, and yes, people lose p- perfectly stable uh, people who are perfectly stable mental and emotionally lose their jobs and run into difficult circumstances. Uh, people who struggle with gambling, right? Uh, I argue that that's an addiction, right? That, that falls under the umbrella of mental health. Um, so there are, there are people who are kind of highly functional, who run into difficult circumstances and lose their homes and become homeless. Yes, no question about it. Of course, you lose your job, you get sick, something happens. Of course, um, all those things in conjunction can lead to homelessness. But the vast majority of people who are homeless in this country have a uh, a, a mental illness whether it's diagnosed or not and um struggle with substance abuse and yeah. the combination of the two not only uh leads them to become homeless but it keeps them homeless oh yeah so uh but yeah those are those are the those are the two most uh I, so I
0: so what can so what can you do uh i think first well, you
1: you want to direct though i think those you know you want to try to direct those people to social service agencies, government programs, where they can literally walk in and get support and assistance. <laughs> there is some resistance to that amongst uh, homeless people. You know, some of them don't want to go to shelter. Some of them don't want to uh, go ask for help or uh, seek access to certain services for a variety of different reasons, and some of which are uh, certainly understandable and warranted. But I think if you're going to Get out of the, the situation. Well, I think first you have to gauge whether or not they want to get out of that situation. So some folks are content to just be where they are.
0: Oh, but. and you know, not even necessarily content, but yeah. like lacking the ability to see the alternative. And so I was yeah. talking about resiliency and support system. It. I. I, I remember one client in particular who um, whose main support system was their crack dealer, um, yeah. and didn't really have anybody else in their lives that was checking in on them. Um, this woman that I worked with, um, who, you know, she's like, oh yeah, so-and-so was asking how I was doing and, 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 and they would, they would come into the community mental health center very erratically. You know, I would try to go find her in the community. Couldn't find her. Um, you know, if your primary source of support is the person that's selling you crack uh, or who's, you know, or who you're providing sexual services to for your crack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty complex relationship, and I do not fault her for staying in that dynamic. And if, yeah. if that's all she knows, yeah, we're gonna strip her of her only support system. Well, yeah, I, I wanted
1: to make sure that we weren't kind of engaging in some sort of kind of like. Um, You don't want to, you know, uh, kind of intervene in people's lives and assume you know what's best for them, even if your heart's in the right place and you think you're doing what's right for someone. Yeah, let's not not
0: be presumptuous assholes, right?
1: (laughs) But but if, if you encounter a situation in which a person is, in fact, asking for help or needs help, needs support... I would, you know, and you're just an average citizen walking down the street, and you're not the type of asshole that will just ignore the homeless person when they ask you for a dollar. Um, If you are, in fact, concerned uh, enough to help and they ask for it, um, and I've done this before, I've I've directed uh, homeless people that I've come across on the street uh, and struck up conversations with. uh, uh, You know, I've directed them to homeless shelters, I've directed them to social service agencies, the Department of Health. Uh, as well as DBH-specific programs. A lot of them are not aware of these programs. They're really not. And if you just, you know, if you make them aware, you give them a number, an address where they can go to, um, uh, it might be the first step in helping them to to break the cycle and get out of a difficult situation. So... Yeah, but there are resources available in this city that uh, I, I think uh, are, there are a lot of to some resources. degree underutilized that people are not aware of. Yeah. Unless you're a social worker, you work in government, most people don't know about the homeless outreach services uh, program that uh, the Department of Health has, or the the numerous you know kind of um, uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, immediate kind of crisis psychiatric services that the Department of Health has. So I think it's important to research those, go on their websites, learn about them as, as, a, uh, as a citizen, uh, as a resident of this city, just in case you ever, you're ever in a position where you can help someone and direct them to these resources. So it could, it could make a real difference. You don't have to be a social worker or a therapist or a licensed professional counselor to, to, to make a difference and help folks. Anyone can do it. You just have to give a damn. Yeah. And know where to direct
0: people. Well, I was going to say, like, probably the first step is actually, yeah, we've got about, like, we've got a couple minutes. The first step really (laughs) is to uh, open your eyes and look around um, outside of your box and and see that there are people that truly struggle and truly don't have the choices uh, that that you have. Um, And, uh, yeah, we could talk about the mental health of mental health providers, um, mm. in those circumstances, yeah. I, I had to opt out of working in that community, yeah. uh, for the moment. Maybe I'll go back at some point in some capacity in a volunteer basis. Uh, yeah. but you know, there, there's a lot of trauma that, that I think was the primary diagnosis that I gave, mm-hmm. uh, while working in community mental health, yeah. uh, was PTSD. Yeah. And, um, from various circumstances and if, after you hear uh so many stories over so many days or so many years yeah. and see the consequences of, of the trauma on on people uh it, it starts to impact you yeah. um yeah. okay so that that was kind of like a that wasn't that was an interesting talk so yeah. if anybody has any comments please email us at compass rogue dc at gmail.com and uh, we're happy to hear any Does anyone about. ever actually
1: email us there? Have you got any emails uh, to that inbox? I'd be curious to know.
0: Yeah. No, oh, not yet. Well, I really, I would love to hear. This people. is only
1: episode number three. We're, we're growing. Yeah, so I, would, I,
0: I would love we're to love. We're building talk, a foundation. Here. I'd love to talk to a priest. Yeah. Uh, maybe at some point we'll have my former rabbi yeah. um, come talk, uh, yeah. Rabbi Kukir Korn, who has been unbelievably helpful in my life even though i became a catholic and then i left the catholic church and then i became a buddhist and then they're like what what i'm so white oh my god i'm such a white woman yeah so uh did you eat
1: breakfast and lunch
0: today i did um oh are you hungry yeah i've already i offered you food and you didn't take it so Uh, yes that's exactly what i was
1: looking for today that's shake
0: yes okay so uh, until next time goodbye
1: all right have a good one thank you everyone and uh Tune in next time for our our episode four, which
0: will be, what will be the topic?